0: saw everything as a gift. Everything we're thankful for, right? It's only when we don't have those things that we realize just how grateful we really are. If you're broken a foot or an ankle or something, you don't wear a shoe for a month or two, and then you finally get that shoe back on, you go, "Oh, oh, oh, this feels so good. Yeah, just grateful for the basic, simple things of life. Uh, where, I want to get you ready for the season of Christmas, and the way we're going to do that's in in a course where, where I'm going to call it the next few weeks, discovering the lost art of really of forgiving. And I'm calling this series Letting Go, and I'm going to begin this series by asking you to let go of something. Last week, I misspoke. I actually told a lie. You have to forgive me, but you have to, and I'm going to give you five reasons why. Uh, I actually I actually footnoted a song that Ernest wrote, but it wasn't Ernest. I think it was donnie McClurkin or someone else actually ernest wrote the other song i'm grateful that you're faithful and i think i'm telling you the truth after first service uh one of the praise team people came off to the side and said hey he didn't write that one he wrote grateful that you're faithful so i said sing it to me right before i go on stage because if you sing it to me then that's what i'll sing on in my little head and um So as they walked off, I'm getting ready to come on to preach. And one of the praise team members put their arm on my arm and said, I'm grateful that you're faithful. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm reminding you of this song. Thank you. So look it up. Grateful that you're faithful. Now, if you have a Bible, go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Letting go. We're going to spend about four weeks on this, and it will help us get ready for Christmas. Maybe in a way you've really needed the last several years. Letting go, and by that, it's the fine art of letting go and forgiving people, which means you're not going to ever bring it up again. You're really letting it go. And today I want to talk with you about why forgive. The rock passage is Ephesians 4 verse 32. And as we approach the holidays, uh, we go to family gatherings, corporate parties, something down the street with friends, school programs, concerts, and then there's on top of all that, there's the shopping. All of that combines to create kind of an anxiety level everywhere. And in our memory, we would love for Christmas to be a time of of, uh, peaceful joy. We would love it to be a beautiful uh, gathering of the family, but more times than not, the family gathers and it's a feud. Corporate parties become well lubricated staff members who then tell the truth and lose their jobs january one you 've seen that where friends tell you something that you didn 't want to know right over the holidays and it 's hard to let go it really is uh, all of us you know, we, all of us have seen these wonderful pictures on the fronts of Christmas cards. And it's this quiet, snowy scene, and it's beautiful and serene. Or maybe for you, it's Jesus and Joseph and Mary at the manger, and beautiful, quiet scenes, or angels, you've seen Christmas cards that way. But in reality, that wouldn't be your life. Your life is more like a Christmas card from the Griswolds. You know, it's just something odd about it all the way through. Something funny, but somewhat tragic. And you have to laugh to keep from crying. We love the Christmas season but along with all the emotion of Christmas, what happens is all of the emotion comes with us into this season. And it taps us emotionally in, in a way that's unusual. It brings out unforgiving things, unforgiven things from the whole year. So those sentimental memories become bad memories. And and then that becomes an emotional drain for us. And so this one verse, Ephesians 4, and we're going to look at verse 32 I'm going to give you other passages, but this one is well worth memorizing. Ephesians 4.32 reads, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, you say it out loud with me, would you? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you, Ephesians 4.32. Let's say it one more time. Just get it, let it dwell in your head. Together, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians four thirty two. Now here's the problem. The problem is we have this sin inside of us, born with it, already in. It's universal, it's everywhere. The Bible says no one does what's right. Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophets, said that. But Romans again says it. There's no one who is righteous, no, not even one. Romans chapter three. All have sinned, Romans 3 again. So in case you missed it once, he will say it again. Sin is universal. It is everywhere. And the problem with it is, secondly, it's pervasive. It affects everything. It affects businesses and relationships and policing and nations and economies. And Romans chapter 1 really, really explains a bit of that, that all of us given the opportunity walk away from God. We suppress the truth. And that leads us to our third point, which is that our attempts to curb or cure the sin, all of those attempts are hopeless. They do not work. Have you ever thought about it? Think about it for a moment. What would the price of goods be if you didn't have to have security at stores? Just right now, right? Think about that. What would the price of goods be? What would the price of goods be if they didn't have to have security at stores and we weren't afraid of the stores being robbed and that we weren't afraid of the competition somehow undermining you in an unethical way. What would be the cost of the actual item? Think about it. If you didn't have to spend money to defend yourself against the bad person, if you didn't have to have alarms on your house and in your car and, and everywhere, in your bank accounts, all of that, it, it's all because of sin. It's a very costly thing. And all of our attempts to curb it they don't work. I mean we can hold it at bay for a while but someone else will figure it out how to get in there. Romans chapter 1 says that God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've, they're full of, full of every kind of wickedness. This is all kinds of mankind. Evil, greed, and depravity. And, and so what happens is there's murder and strife. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 again people don't stop. They just keep doing the wrong thing because they want to be they want to be the lead. They want to be God. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. That's the problem with sin, with sin. And the solution is the wonderful message of Christmas. The solution is that Jesus Christ comes and he saves the world. If you'll just trust him, he'll promise to save you. God demonstrates his love for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Even while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But if you back up to verse 6, he offers his life as payment. See, at just the right time, when we're still powerless, Christ died not for good people. Christ died for the ungodly. He he died for the people who don't deserve it. You see, it's true, you may have heard the saying, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. If you see the difference of that, he's not just reforming you. He is rebirthing you to new life in Jesus Christ. So God demonstrates his love. That payment for that sin is already done. So the payment to give you that life is available. And the payment is, thirdly, it's sufficient. Since we're now justified, Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, we're justified by his blood, we're saved. We don't have to be children of wrath, of God's anger. So Romans 5 would be just a great one to read on your own this week, even verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, they'll explain just that solution. God made you alive with him, Colossians chapter 2. He forgave us our sin, the Bible says in Colossians, having canceled the legal charges. Anybody bought something and you bought it on a card and then you take it back and then when they take it back they say, yeah we'll refund you and then when they say we'll refund you, then they say oh, and then but it isn't in the account. You say yeah, it takes about two to five or ten or twenty business days. anybody had that? Yeah. yeah, the moment you buy it, boom, it's gone out of your account. I mean, before you're in the car, it's gone. But when you when it's coming back, well, it's going to take a pro. It's a problem. It's going to take some time. Well, what, it didn't take time to take the money out of my account. Well, we have to find it and verify. it. Well, you didn't verify my account. You just took the money out. I mean. Anybody noticed this before? Yeah. Yeah. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, do you know what he did? He paid the account. So it, it isn't, doesn't work like all the stores work or the banks work. It's not, there's no two to five day waiting period, no checking of balances. No. Boom, it's done. That's a wonderful gift to think in a moment he pays the debt. It's just gone. And, and he cancels, uh, Colossians chapter 2, he cancels the legal charge of indebtedness. In other words, it's just, it's just gone in a strike. So it's like a legal document. Hebrews chapter 9, just as, as it's appointed under man once to die after that, the judgment. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin of many. Just like it's appointed unto, unto you to die at some point in your life. You will die, I will too. And then there's judgment. That's just as sure. God's word tells us just as sure as there was one life, Christ, when he died, that one life that was given is sufficient payment for the the salvation of us all. You see, God doesn't forgive us because we're great people. He forgives us because he is great, not because we are great, but because he is great. He doesn't forgive us based upon our goodness. He forgives us based upon his own word. He's going to come through and keep his word. Why? Because he is very credible. So we receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ, and, and he promises that, and he delivers it in the moment. It is paid, and the Bible calls this propitiation. It, it's just a big word for it. God is satisfied. The debt is paid. Now, when you look up the word forgiveness in the Bible, you're going to find lots of use of the word forgive, forgiving, forgiveness. But if you look it up in a dictionary, you'll find it to be just a little bit different. But look at the biblical term, and what you're going to find, as it appears in God's word, it means to bestow favor, kind of like grace. But it's to bestow favor, particularly when there's a debt. So it's the remitting of that debt, or the remitting of the sin. So it's the release, or the pardon, of the debt it's in another picture of it is to cover it it's just to cover it um i was with somebody i was gonna meet them um for coffee and uh we sat down and he went "Uh, nothing for me and when a guy goes like nothing for me i know what that means Do you know what that means that means he put on he changed his pants right before he came and his wallet is at home that's what that means it's in the other pair of pants so I said, well, get a cup of coffee. No, I'm good. i bet you don't have your wallet. <laughs> how do you know that? Because you did this. <laughs> yes, right? And, and he, I said, uh, you know, I, I got, it's a cup of coffee. I'll cover it. You ever done that? Mm, yeah. He said, how could I pay you back? We'll go for steak and lobster. <laughs> I'm okay with that. You see, that's what the idea of forgiveness is. You just cover it. You pay the debt. And herein lies the problem. Sometimes as Christians, we know the debt is paid, and yet we keep adding to it, and then we never feel forgiven. So then you wonder about your relationship with God. That's where you're not sure, am I really a believer? Am I really headed to heaven? Does Jesus really know me? Am I really, the biblical term, am I really saved? And you wonder about that. Why? Because you aren't fully convinced the debt is paid or you add to that. Well, I have to, now I get forgiveness, but I have to do something to make up for it. No, the debt has been paid, it has been forgiven. Let it go. Because if you don't let it go, there's a good chance you won't let it go with others. That's the telltale sign. If you can't let it go with others, you're probably not letting it go with yourself. And God has a better plan. It's called forgiveness. So I want to give to you, just by way of starting the series, I want to give to you five reasons. We need to forgive now any one of these is enough but they kind of build on each other as well but all five combined is overwhelming evidence of why we ought to forgive number one because god commands it luke chapter 17 reads so watch yourselves if your brother or sister sins against you rebuke them these are jesus words and if they repent forgive them if they change their mind, if you don't know what the word repent means, if they change their mind about the way they view this, then forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you and say, ah, I'm sorry, I I repent. You must forgive them. Get that. These are Jesus' words. He's saying, you need to let it go. Even if it means seven times in a day, Jesus commands that. God's word uh, is totally appropriate to say to a person, it's totally appropriate to say to a person, yeah, this is wrong. That's calling them in the relationship. And when they go to repent, they say, yeah, you're right. I, I, I lied or I, I didn't do that right. Or, that's, not, that's just accountability. That's okay. You can challenge them about sin. But when they make an effort to change, when there's a, any amount of change of behavior or even the change of their mind, that they're saying, yeah, you know what? I'm going to think about that. Let it go. Don't harbor it over them. Because if you do, you become the target for Satan next. See, it's going to hurt you in the long haul. This totally goes against the flow of culture in the day today. It was that culture, that same culture in, in biblical terms. It was that same culture in Israel, in Jesus' day. They didn't let anything go. If someone smacked smack them, they'd smack them back. It was just very retaliatory. And we have that even today. And God is saying, no, the person who's going to be a follower of Jesus is going to let them in their sin, let them repent, let them change their mind, give them space to do that, even if they do it seven times in one day. Number two, not only do you do it because God commands it, but you do that to model what Christ has done for you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, really gives us the next two points. Bear with each other and forgive each other if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So go ahead and stretch yourself. Forgive them. Don't hang on to the offense. And note that the word here is not even sin. If you go back to the text, forgive whatever grievance. It isn't that they're sinning. It's just bugging you. Do you ever have people do things that are annoying to you? Go ahead, raise your hand. How many of you were around some annoying things over the last, oh, say, three or four days? Oh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we, are, we are annoyed with those things, and, and they become a grievance to us, and that's all we focus on, and they're just odd, maybe emotional responses, habits, might be the personality of the person, but it's just annoying, And then we can get wrapped up in that. And that's how we define the person. And it's not that what they're doing is a sin. It's just a relational, I call it a relational hiccup. And what does Colossians say? Let it go. Model what Christ did for you. He he forgave. He covered that debt. He paid it. He let it go. But that's not all. Not only does it model it. Number three, it's because you've been forgiven. The back end of that verse Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know how often, how much. You know just how dirty your own heart is. And so, let's be honest with ourselves. We have to let go of a lot of things from others, but we have a lot more that we know about ourselves. And if we can put up with the, the oddities of our own lives... Certainly, we can put up with the oddities of others and ask God to give us grace for them. And so we forgive and let it go. Why? Because we've been forgiven of a whole lot. But there's a fourth reason uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And the story goes like this from 2 Corinthians, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he writes in 1 Corinthians, there's a guy living in sin, and you don't even face the sin. So you need to face the sin and confront him. So they face him with the sin, but later he finds out they push his nose in it every day, and they don't ever let up on him. And now the apostle Paul writes and says, "You know, I th- I think you need to let it go. I think he's on his way, but you're going to cripple him if you're not careful." Colossians or Second Corinthians chapter two, verse seven. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him. See, the person who's offending, comfort them so that he'll not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. You get this? You could actually do damage. So you need to forgive for the good of the offender because if you don't let it go, you're going to drive them away or drive them to excessive sorrow you'll drive them to being very not just aware of their own sin but aware of everything and they become hyper about everything about life they become super conscious overly conscious overly sensitive about things and you could just let it go and move on in our forgiving uh, spirit um if if we are unforgiving what's going to happen is we're going to communicate that god is unforgiving and that God is all about being um, overly sensitive, overly critical, and never satisfied. And so and it's a wrong view of God. So we'll, divide, we'll, we'll press them towards a kind of compulsive perfectionism. And that is not the Christian life. That's compulsive perfectionism. The Christian life is, I'm forgiven, and he accepts me. And he loves me. And, and it, one scholar was asked, what's the most profound truth you know? Great scholar, great theologian. And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yeah. To know that you're forgiven, that you're loved with an, with an unceasing kind of love by a Father in heaven who delights in you. And he knows that you sin. And he still calls you his child then you can call the people around you brother and sister, no matter how squirrely they get. So that's number four. Do it for the good of the offender. But I have one more, and it's do it for your own good. Colossians 2 goes on to say, verses 10 and 11, anyone you forgive, and I also forgive, and what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, he's saying, I don't even know anymore. This thing is so twisted. I don't even know anymore. If there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven it in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Have you ever wondered, like I remember when I was a kid um, I delivered newspapers um, and uh, we still get a newspaper at our house, but some, you know, we get a lot of our news on, online, we're just always on the run, but Growing up, I delivered newspapers, and when I was delivering newspapers, the Vietnam War was on the cover, and I was trying to figure out who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, and who, how do you know and what, and, and you couldn't quite figure it out. And then, and it was really convoluted at times because you didn't know who the Viet Cong was, you didn't know who, who represented what. Well, that same scenario happened when Israel would make the cover of the paper. And we'd say, well, who is what, and where in where what country is what? It got so twisted, you couldn't remember who belonged where. And after a while, like the Apostle Paul, if there is something to forgive, and I don't know what it would be, it is so confusing, I'm going to let it go, Paul says. This guy wants to repent? Just let it go. Do it for your own good. Because you cannot untangle some of that stuff. Some of that you just have to let go of. <clears throat> when I was a kid and we were fishing, um, my grandpa used to take us fishing, but we were not the most patient children. He would take all the grandkids to a pond. Just think about this. I mean, take us out to deep water. Uh, one guy, you know, like eight grandkids and we'd all drop a line. We didn't know it, but the pond was stocked. Grandpa's no fool. He's going to make us all winners. You know, we're all going to bring home a fish. We don't want to touch it, but we all going to get a fish. So all the cousins are there and we're all having a great time. And, um, uh, you know, someone throws a line, my brother threw a line, landed the hook in the tree. You know, it's, it's, it's the classic stories, right, of fishing. And one of, the, one of the other cousins winds back the reel and just tangles that thing out of, out of heck. And, and my grandpa takes it, and about a minute later, it's all clean, ready to go. How did you untangle it? It had 100 knots in it. He didn't untangle it. You know what he did? I didn't know it until I was like 30. He, he just cut it out, stuck it back in his pocket and pulled a new line he just let it go he didn't untangle it all sometimes understand this in your desire to understand every part of the argument you're trying to save string that isn't worth that much you know what i'm saying i it just isn't worth it you're better off pulling out the line cutting it starting fresh and you look like a winner i mean i thought my grandpa was a miracle worker you know we all came home with fish, and Grandma yelled, Tom, why did you do that? And he would turn his hearing aid off and smile at her. <laughs> so you do it for your own good. Because some, some of this tangled, the tangledness of life just isn't worth it. And the back end of the verse, this is, this is worth the trip this morning you forgive in the sight of christ and it's for your sake get that it's for your sake it's for your own good why because if you don't satan will see that and he'll see oh we have a little pharisee in the making we have a little king tut in the making satan will see that and you will not outwit him he will take you down in the very moment and that's why paul writes we are not unaware of his schemes and he'll get you to keep score. He'll want you to, to level the injustices against you. And then you, you give Satan all that room for him to work. And, but if you would just forgive and let it go, you'd be actually modeling Christ. You would actually help the hurting brother. You would help that brother or sister heal. But you would set yourself free too from the fall that would inevitably be yours. So, let me close and I I, I always like to close this story but I read a dozen stories about unforgiving spirits and they were all tragic endings I mean they were horrible and I I read a lot I read broadly trying to get a good anchor story to the back end of the message I'm thinking it's Thanksgiving you just had you know you've had turkey four times in the last four days you had pumpkin pie for breakfast I know some of you did so it's, it's on your lip I can tell and I'm jealous yes I am there's no good unforgiveness story to end with. So here's the story I want to leave you with. What if what if a cluster of us, what if a community of us decided, I am going to forgive because I have been so forgiven. And what if we, this week, modeled forgiveness in the community? And then what if in our forgiveness... We were kind to the very people who, who deserve our judgment, but we're going to offer them some grace. And so we do it for their good as well. And we end up being happier people in the process. Wouldn't that be cool? That's the illustration I want to leave you with. And so Ephesians chapter 4, we will be the people who will be kind and compassionate this season with one another and we'll forgive each other. Why? Why? because God in Christ has forgiven us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow for prayer and let's stand as we pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we say holy hallowed is your name. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. And we want it to be that way on in heaven But we want it to be that way on earth as well. In this season of Thanksgiving, we say thank you because you have provided our daily bread. You've provided for our needs. And so now it's our turn to forgive others of our debts, knowing that we have been forgiven of ours. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil because yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power, now and forevermore. May we be the gracious forgivers we're designed to be, to the glory of your dear Son. In his name we pray, the church says, amen.